You're listening to the Songs of Jesus sermon series at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. This series explores the power of singing the stories of Jesus. We'll see how these songs are rooted in the promises of God, speak to our deepest longings, and equip us to bring all we are to Him. Peace be with you. Um, If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 40, 1 through 2, and then verses 6 through 11. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me, um, and it's also in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Skipping down to verse 6. A voice said, shout. I asked, what should I shout? Shout that people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to be born in a manger, to be born as a king. That he was born to deliver us, to free us. We're thankful for the ability to be able to study your word together. Pray, God, that as we look at your word this morning, that we would be comforted by the reminders of our coming King Jesus. Spirit, we ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would illuminate this text afresh to us today. Pray all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So if you were here last week, um, we started a a new sermon series called The Songs of Jesus, where each week what we'll be doing is looking at a a very familiar Christmas carol, talking about how um, this speaks to our emotions, and lastly, speak about how this Christmas carol reminds us of the promises of God. We talked last week about three important things um, to remember as we study these carols um, that that are characteristic of all carols. Carols are are emotional. They do speak to the deepest longings of our hearts. They're to be embodied. They're they're not just like stiff songs that we kind of mumble. They're they're supposed to be sung out and lived out. And then lastly, carols are empowering. As they remind us about the promises of Christ, they should move us to embody that which Christ has called us to do. So carols are emotional. They're, They're embodied and they're empowering. 
This morning we'll be looking at um, the song that we, we sang earlier, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, and looking at how the emotion of doubt is illuminated in that song. As we talked about last week, we're, we're in the season of Advent, which has been celer- celebrated by the church for centuries. In this season, it's a season of, of looking back and rehearsing Israel's longing as they longed for the coming Messiah, but it's also us practicing longing now, longing for our coming king who promised to come again. But ultimately, Advent is a season of waiting. The, the late great contemporary theologian, if you can call him that, Thomas Petty, he said the waiting is the hardest part. Every day you see, you only see one more card. You take it on faith, you take it to the heart. Yeah, the waiting is the hardest part. We don't like waiting, right? That's why at the DMV we, we get out our phones and look at Instagram, swipe through the stories again, even the ones we watched already. Or in the three seconds you have at the stoplight, you pull out and you read one text message, you know, that's safe. Or for, for my older folks, you know, that's why we read magazines in the doctor's office, right? We, we, we don't like waiting. We don't like waiting because of, of the things that come up when we wait. It's where the, the fears, they fester and they grow. It's where the doubts start to arise. We don't like the waiting. The, the first line of our song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, it talks about waiting, right? Our long expected Jesus means we're still expecting him. And we've been expecting him for a long time. We've been waiting for thousands of years. And we're still waiting. When we wait for a long time, one of the things that happens is we start to doubt, right? Did, did they forget our order? Like, why did we even come to this place? Like, are they killing the chicken in the back? Like, we, should we just leave now? I don't know. My package isn't going to get here in two days. I don't even know if I want it on the third day. Like, what are you doing, Amazon? Or or think about maybe a a long-expected friend. Maybe you have dinner plans with somebody. Maybe you're going to get a cup of coffee. Five minutes goes by, you're like, nah, whatever. Ten minutes, you're like, hmm, this is weird. Fifteen minutes, oh my gosh, the doubts start coming in, right? Did they forget Did something happen to them? Did they, they just blow me off? Do they not care about me? But we don't just doubt others, too. We doubt ourselves, right? Oh, maybe this was my fault. Did I have the date or the time wrong? Did we say the Synergos on Woodlawn or instead of Norris? Like, did I get this wrong? Is this, is this my fault? When we wait, we doubt. When we're forced to wait, the doubts arise. They come up. For a while now, it seems that one of the highest ideals in, in American Christianity is this, um, this idea of certainty. That, that to be certain is to be good. To be certain, to have everything right. We just got to get it all right. If we get it all right, if we have everything aligned and get it all right, then, then we'll be good. But if certainty is our highest ideal, what does that say about doubt? Doubt is bad, or at worst, evil, sinful. 
But what if, what if certainty is something that we care about more than God cares about? What if the thing that God is calling, to, calling you to is not absolute certainty, but absolute trust? Here's, here's what um, some pastors and theologians have said about doubt. Uh, Anne Lamott, she says, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness and discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. Or how about this one? This is awesome, and I love it. Probably going to make a shirt out of this. So you guys can buy it. Frederick Buchner, he says, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. That's awesome. They keep it awake and moving. You're like, I don't know any of those people. Okay, how about John Calvin? Surely we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that is not assailed by some anxiety. If that doesn't do it for you, everyone's favorite English Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, it says, I do not believe there ever existed a Christian yet who did not now and then doubt his interest in Jesus. This is poignant. I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. In this season of Advent and in our seasons of waiting, doubt is a natural emotion to experience. And just as longing, like we talked about last week, is an integral part of the Advent season, so is doubt. God, God is not calling you to absolute certainty, but absolute trust. He's not calling you to absolute certainty, but absolute trust. If you're here today and you're a doubter, you're, you're actually in good company. We, we stand in a great cloud of doubters, right? The forerunners in the faith that are spoken of so highly in Scripture, most of them were doubters. If you read the Psalms, right? David and other psalmists, they cry out all the time, God, have you forgotten me? Will you be merciful? When will you act, God? Don't you care? Doesn't Sarah doubt God's provision of a child in her old age? Doesn't Moses express doubt when his first attempt to free God's people from Pharaoh is stopped and thwarted? He says, oh Lord, why have you brought harm to, the, to this people? Why, why did you even send me? Is what he says. Doesn't Gideon express doubts when he asked for not one but two fleeces to test what God had already said? And Peter, the rock of the church, God calls him to step out and, and walk on water, and Peter, he doubts. Jesus is right in front of him, but he doubts. For all these characters, God, God doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't make them feel guilty or stupid. Doubt is an integral part, and it's a natural emotion and experience in seasons of waiting, and I would say specifically in the season of Advent. So I, I, I've told you guys this before, like I, um, I enjoy lifting weights, you know, like some people are like, I love running. This is not a, a body built for running, okay? So I enjoy lifting weights. <laughs> weightlifting is good if it's done well, okay? Weightlifting is good if it's done well. So come January 1, when you guys all have your New Year's resolutions, like, and then there's floods at the gym, there's usually two types of people that come to the gym, right? There's the people that they have never done weightlifting, and so um, 
They're trying it out for the first time. So there, there's one, one group, if you will, they're smart enough to like hire a personal trainer or ask a friend, like, hey, will you teach me what to do? And then there's the other groups that are like, no, I'll just figure it out. Like, how hard can it be, right? Weight on ground, lift weight up, put weight back down. It's not that hard, right? Weightlifting is good if it's done well. But if it's not done well, it can get you hurt, right? If you've never done it before and you go into the gym and you have horrible form, it's going to get you hurt. Weightlifting is good if it's done well. If it's not, it can hurt you. I think doubting is the same way. Doubting, if it's done well, is good. But if it's not done well, I, th I think it can lead to pain, to confusion, maybe even, at worst, full-out denial of the faith. So what does it mean, then, to doubt well? How do we join that great cloud of doubters that has come before us? Not just in scripture, but in, the, in the, the history of the church. The first thing that we need to do if we, if we want to doubt well, especially in the seasons of waiting, is remembering that God's promises are the firmest footing. God's promises are the footing, firmest footing. One of the key characteristics of doubting and doubting well is that when we doubt, we need to do it in humility. Doubting always needs to be done in humility. Pastor James talked about this reality a few weeks ago. When Jesus came and was interacting with the crowds, there was the crowds and then the religious leaders. Both had doubts. But the crowds, they came asking the question, is this the Messiah? Is this, is this really him? They came with their doubts, but they did so in humility. They were open-handed. They were actually looking for answers. They, they wanted to know the truth legitimately. But then on the flip side, you had the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They came with the disguise of doubt, but deep, deep down they were in a place of denial. They had hardness of heart. They, they, weren't, they weren't there for answers. They were trying to prove what they had come up with already. It's important that when we are doubting, that we have humility. This is what Isaiah talks about in the, pas the passage that we read today. Verse 6, he says, A voice said, Shout! The Bible's amazing, okay? Isaiah's like, well, what the heck should I shout? God's like, good question, Isaiah. Shout that the people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Beneath the breath of the Lord... And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade. What's, what's he saying? He's saying, re remember who you are. Remember that you're a created being, that you're limited, that you don't have all the answers in the universe. You are not God. Remember that. He's calling to humility. If you've ever read the book of Job, you, you know that Essentially, the whole book is Job wrestling with his doubts about God. He's trying to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the creator of the universe. God's really patient with Job up until the climax of the book. And it's not that he's impatient, but he's like, okay, time's time, Job. Listen up. This is what we read in Job 38, 1 through 4. It says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. 
Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. And then God just goes on this rhetorical question list, and the first one is, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Were you, were you there, Job, when I created giraffes? Nope. God reminds Job time and time again of his power, of his character, of who he really is. Finally, Job relents. He, he, in humility, remembers his frailty before God. He says, you're right, God. I'm sorry. But what's beautiful is God, in, in, his, in Job's doubts, God doesn't, he doesn't smite him, right? He doesn't strike him down. When Job comes in humility to God, God actually blesses him even more than before. Remember that you're like grass. You wither and fade. But verse 8 says, the word of our God stands forever. So in our, in our doubt, in our waiting, the only thing that is firm and steady for us are the promises of God. That's the firmest footing that we have. In his book, uh, Hidden Wholeness, um, author, uh, author uh, Parker Palmer, he tells a story about farmers in the Midwest. What would happen is these farmers, um, in the winter, because of the dangerous blizzards that would just instantaneously sweep through, they would actually tie a rope from the back door of their house to their barn. Because what would happen is if they got stuck at their barn and a blizzard came through, that the snow would be so heavy, the wind so fierce, that they they literally couldn't see their own hands. So some farmers, if they had let go of the rope or or hadn't done a rope that day, some farmers would get stuck wandering in circles in between their home and the barn, the place that they had walked so many times. Even today, in in Canada, in, in the Midwest, in the Great Plains, Meteorologists still encourage people in treacherous blizzards to do this. If you need to go outside, tie a rope to your house and hang on to it. It's the only way you'll get back. See, this age that we live in now, called the already and the not yet, right? God's kingdom is here because Jesus has come, but it's not yet fully here because he hasn't come back yet. In this in-between time, the only way that we can wrestle with our doubts is by holding firmly onto that rope of God's promises. That's the only way. Doubting is good if it's done well. One of the ways that it's done well is remembering God's promises, remembering that those are the firmest foundation. So how do we do that then? How do we remember God's promises? Quite simply, it's engaging God's word. I've been reading uh, this book about pastoral care called The Care of Souls. One of the things the author talks about is um, how our sanctification, which is a fancy word for becoming more like Jesus, is always affected by our nearness to Jesus. So our sanctification is always affected by our nearness to Jesus. It's because Jesus' holiness is something that's transferred to us. Here's what he says. Since holiness is received through contact with God, think nearness, we can keep 
holy, what he himself has made holy, only by being in proximity to him as he approaches us in his word and sacrament. On the other hand, separation from God and his holiness leads to the inevitable loss of holiness. So it it is in and through God's word that we're reminded of God's promises, which in the blizzards of doubt, they're the only rope that we can hold on to. Church, we, we need to be bumping into God's promises daily, running into them. You gotta run into God's promises if you're gonna remember them. Now, I know immediately everyone's like, oh, man, I know I need to read my Bible more. Ah, right? You all have this, like, modern American Christian ideal of the quiet time, right? It's like, if I'm not slogging through the genealogies of numbers, it doesn't count. That's not what I'm saying. Don't, don't take this the wrong way, but I think you can physically never read your Bible, and you can still be reminded of God's promises, There are cultures around the world that do not have God's word, but God's word still goes forth, right? What does that mean? There's hope for you who hate reading. Yes and amen. But you gotta be bumping into God's promises somehow. Once a week on Sunday is not enough, right? When the kids are screaming in your face, you need to be reminded of God's promises, When your boss cusses you out again, you need to be reminded of God's promises. When that unexpected bill comes and and you have no idea how you're gonna pay for it, you you need to be reminded of God's promises. Now again, hear me, I, I think reading God's word is great. One of the commonest ways you can be reminded of God's promises, but there are other ways too. There is a plethora of audio apps that you can listen to, right? The Version Bible, you can get it on Kindle or whatever their book thing is. Help me out. Audible. <laughs> that was tough. <laughs> There's this amazing thing called Streetlights Bible. Yeah, my guy Kev. It's the NLT, which is my favorite version, over beats. It's amazing. It's spoken word. It's the Bible in spoken word. It's like, who doesn't want that? You, you can listen to sermon podcasts or watch if you're like, I don't like listening to podcasts. Okay, well, mix in a, a YouTube video of a sermon if you're spending an hour on Instagram. Like, throw one of those in there. There are so many ways in our culture that we can bump into God's promises and engage God's word. We have to do that. If when when the, the, the seasons of waiting come hard, when the blizzards of doubt are swirling around us, we have to be holding on to the rope of God's promises. I don't care how you do it, but, but to doubt well, you first and foremost have to remember that God's promises are the firmest footing that you have. So bump into God's promises as much as you can. The second necessary piece of doubting well is remembering that King Jesus is the tenderest Savior. The thing that we're waiting for, the thing that we're longing for so much is our long-expected Jesus. We want him to come back and do what he said he's going to do. 
The verse we sang earlier, born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. This verse, it, it creates this, this beautiful imagery for us. It, it reminds me of an art piece that, that was hanging in one of our sister churches a few years back. It's this image of, of baby Jesus in a manger with a crown on his head. Jesus was born a king. He was born a king. That doesn't happen often, if ever. Right? People are born princes and princesses, right? But then you learn the lay of the land, you know? Figure out how the royals work. Then you become a king. But Jesus was born a king. He was born a ruler. He was born to reign in us forever. But he's a different kind of king. He's not a ruler that's going to rule with a strong hand. He's not going to rule in a domineering way, in a way that's harsh or unfair. Look at how different Jesus is as a king. In verse 11, it says, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young this week, as I was meditating on this verse, I, I, I couldn't help but think of um, th- this image that I have of my son. He, he's got this, this, little, this little lamb called Baby. That's his baby, right? Totes it around all day. But what he, all, he almost always does when you give it to him is he pulls it close, he nestles it with his cheek, and just squeezes it. Now, all illustrations break down, right? Because when he's mad, he just spikes it on the ground. Jesus doesn't throw you on the ground. But think of that. Like, I I love that verse that he is the tender Savior, that Jesus is going to hold you close to his heart. I love that. Like, how tender is God towards you? And, And he doesn't just do that, like, when you're in line, right? He's not like, oh, well, you, you got doubts. Well, sorry, man. Good luck, right? Jesus is the tender Savior towards us even in our doubts. All throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus is tender towards his doubting followers. We talked about Peter earlier, but another good example is Thomas. Like, we all know the story of Thomas telling the resurrected Jesus to his face. He's like, I can't believe it's really you until I touch your wounds. Jesus doesn't say to him, you, you knucklehead, man. We've been with each other for years. I've been telling you I was going to raise from the dead and you didn't listen. You don't have certainty right now, you buffoon. You're not in the faith. What does he do? He, he says, Thomas, Come, come near. Come, come touch my wounds. Like a tender shepherd, he, he draws Thomas to his heart. Maybe you're, you're here today, you've been hurt by the church. When you have voiced your doubts, people told you to pipe down. Not to ask questions like that here, don't, don't ask that. I want to encourage you not, not to let your um, experience with the church discolor your experience with Jesus. 
In, in your doubts, Jesus is not turning you away. He never says, don't ask me questions. Rather, he invites you to bring them to him. Jesus is the tender savior. He, he's tender in the moments of great faith and the moments of great doubt. He's, he's tender when we have all the answers that we think we need and when we feel like we don't understand anything. He, he's tender when you trust what he's doing and when you don't. The seasons of waiting, they, they, they seem to go on indefinitely, don't they? We're not, given, we're not given an estimated wait time. We don't know when things are going to end sometimes or when they'll happen. We're always waiting. Waiting for the test results to come back. Waiting for answers. Waiting for broken relationships to be restored. For unemployment to end. Waiting for a place to call home. Waiting for a spouse. Waiting for a child waiting for the life that we've always longed to begin, waiting, waiting for our long-expected Jesus. We're always waiting, waiting, waiting. But you know what's sweet? It's that in our seasons of waiting, God speaks to those. Look at verse one, through, 1 and 2 with me. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. You know, I think in the seasons of waiting, when, when these doubts arise, what we really want isn't certainty. That's not what we want. We know the right answers aren't going to make us feel better. What we really are longing for is comfort. We, we simply want comfort in the waiting. God, tell me it's going to be okay, please. Give me a sign that all will be well like you said, God. That's what we want. We want comfort in the waiting. And that's hard to believe sometimes. <laughs> but that's why God calls us to trust and not certainty. God is calling you not to absolute certainty with zero doubts about anything. He's calling you to absolute trust in the midst of your doubts. He's inviting you to bring your doubts to him. Waiting, it, it really is the hardest part. Because those doubts, they, they start to arise within us. But as doubts arise, if we want to doubt well in seasons of waiting and in, in, in the season of Advent, we have to remember that God's promises are our firmest footing and that Jesus our King Jesus, who is coming back, is the tenderest Savior. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest, our comfort in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, God's people, our strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Every week when we gather together, we take a meal called communion. It is the reminder to us of Jesus' tenderness. 
that in our doubts, in our fear, in our guilt, in our shame, Jesus still came and took on all that for our sake, for our salvation. As we said last week, in, in this season of Advent, it's a looking back and a looking forward. And every week when we practice communion, we're doing the same thing. We're looking back, thanking God for the sacrifice that he's made for us, while also looking forward to the great supper of the Lamb that we will all be a part of one day. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're pronouncing Christ's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, our tradition is to take off a piece of bread and to dip it into the juice. Um, There will be stations up here at the front. Uh, There's gluten-free over to my left and your right. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, we ask that you not partake in this meal, not because we want to exclude you, um, but because this meal is for those who um, have committed their lives to Christ, who, who have said that, yes, I'm about this reality, that I recognize Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. If you're here today and you're not a Christian um, and you're interested in partaking communion, please come talk to me or one of the volunteers and we can prepare you to celebrate this meal with us next week. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.